No, don't stop. Don't stop. You just keep clapping. It's fine. I'll just speak over you. It is so, so weird to be back. It's not like the last time we stood here, uh, we were telling everybody we were leaving. And now I'm here. And uh, it's just strange to see familiar faces. And it's, it's great to see new faces. And you guys are beautiful. You haven't aged a bit. And I know you'd say the same about me. Uh, several people said, you know, we've missed you. And I just want you to know we never moved away. Uh, we've been stuck in Nashville traffic for three and a half years and turned back to let our kids go to the bathroom. I'm just kidding. We never made it off Indian Lake Boulevard. You guys have uh, so much traffic and construction. It's beautiful. Your city is growing. And I love it. Let's, uh, can we do something together before we start? I mean, I don't need your permission, but it's going to go better if you agree. I want us to do something together. It's going to push you a bit, and uh, it's going to be good for you. And we're going to do it regardless. So uh, here's what I'd like for us to do. I'd like for us together to hum. You remember humming, right? It's for those that can't sing, we hum. Uh, I want us to hum the first verse, not that it matters because they're all the same, of Amazing Grace. Uh, Can we do that together? Can we hum Amazing Grace together? Now, here's what's going to happen. You're going to hit some high notes, and that's okay. Just go for it. Just push through. And I'm going to help direct you, okay? But I'm going to shut my mic off so that you don't have to just hear me. But we're going to do it together. Are you ready? Are you ready? Everybody good? All right, let's go. Isn't that beautiful? Like, you guys make beautiful music together. See, here's what's, here's what's amazing, is that we all come from different backgrounds. We all come from different spaces. We all come from different socioeconomic places. We're all different. We're all diverse. We believe different things. We, we think different things. We're different people. And we all come into this environment with different experiences. Some of you, you may remember that song. When you were a kid and you were coloring on the floor of an old church and your parents were singing page 235, over and over. Maybe you've never heard it before, but you're really good at picking up on humming. Maybe you're here and you like it, you hate it, you, you, it doesn't matter. What happens is that when we all come together and we pull together our resources and our experiences and our lives and we work together, we create something beautiful that the sound that we make echoes into eternity, that what God hears from the environment in this space has to please him because we're working together. We are doing something together. See, here's what I know about you. And I don't know all of you, right? Some of you look completely, uh, I don't know any of you. Some of you, I don't know any of you. But here's what I know about you, is that you were created to be a part of something bigger than you imagine. You were created at a cellular level to be in community. You were created to be in a tribe. Everybody say the word tribe really fast. Oh, you didn't have to say it fast, but you know what I mean. The very word tribe is a powerful word. It is powerful because it describes a collection, a group of people. It was first used in the 13th century, and it's since been used to define numerous different people groups all over the world. But what the word tribe means to me, and what I want it to mean to you, is that it means that you are a people, that you are a collection, 
that as a tribe, we are in community. And here's what I know about tribes, is that you get to pick the one that you're a part of. Anybody do CrossFit in the room? Good, we are in a good room. You do? Okay, we'll let you stay. We'll let you stay. CrossFit, anybody, uh, you work jobs, right? You don't have to raise your hand. Most of us work jobs. You're in families. Anybody own a motorcycle? Anybody own a motorcycle? All right, all right. See, these are tribes, right? These are tribes. When you're in CrossFit and you're doing insane things that you should not be doing, I'll just tell you, it's crazy. Just take a break for a second. You're sweating together with people. You are in a tribe together. You have a common bond when you are in that room. If you own a motorcycle, here's what I know about motorcyclists. They look really cool. Like, I don't care who you are, except for me, because I'm clumsy. And here's what they do. Every time they pass one another, do you know what they do? They drop their hand. It's so cool. Like, don't you think that, man, I want to be, I want to do that. Like, I want to buy a bike, and I want to drop my hand at someone else, with a bike, and then I'll crash it, and that'll be the end of my bike career. It's so awesome, because they have this thing. They don't even have to know one another. And I've tried to get other gingers to do that. You know what I mean? Like, hey, I see you back there. Just drop your hand. We get, because what we're saying is, what we're saying, and you can adopt that if you'd like. What we're saying is, I may not know you. We may never even physically meet. But I get you. I know your struggles. I know your pain. I know what you're going through. See, we get to choose the tribe that we're a part of. We get to choose whether we're going to engage in it. We get to choose whether we want to embrace it. We get to choose whether we're going to embody what that tribe stands for. We get to choose whether we're going to be faithful or they're going to bail on it. We get to choose the tribe that we're in. And there's this passage in 1 Peter where Peter begins to define, he begins to give us an invite, an eloquent invitation to not join CrossFit, though I'm sure it's great for you, and to not buy a bike, though that could be hazardous, He gives us an invitation to join the greatest tribe on earth. And he says in 1 Peter 2.10, he says, once you are not a people. So I gotta ask you, is there a time in your life when you can look back? And maybe you didn't know Christ. Maybe you didn't have a relationship with Jesus. Some of you, maybe that's right now. And maybe there was a time when, when you uh, didn't attend uh, faithfully a congregation like this, or you didn't feel like you belonged or that you were a part of anything. If you look back into your life, there's a time for each and every one of us where we did not feel like we were a people. We were a person. And if you could go back in your mind and remember there is loneliness and sadness and there's a little bit of fear and insecurity when you're going through life alone because that's not the way that you or I we're created to live our lives. We were not created to live apart from a tribal community. And what First Peter is saying to us is that there was a point in time in all of our lives where that was us. We were a solo person. But what's beautiful is that he says, but now. See, I love this word now because a lot of people stand off from the church and they say, I could be a part, but I have to maybe jump through some hoops. I have to put on a blazer and just button the top button, and I have to, I have to look nice, and I have to speak nice, and I have to you know, be kind, I have to carry a Bible, and I have to read a lot of Scripture, and I have to do all of these things before I'm accepted. And what Peter is telling us is that you have this invitation extended to you now, that there was a point in time in your life when you were not a people, and now you are just not just a group, but you are God's people. And what's beautiful about being God's people is that there was a point in time where we may not have felt like we received mercy, but now we have it. 
now we've received God's mercy. That this is our invitation into not just any tribe, but God's tribe. That this is Peter inviting us to be a part of something bigger than we ever imagined. That we could pull resources. That we could come from different places in our lives and we can work together to do something great. Because what one person can do alone, so much more can be done through the power of tribe. So much more can be accomplished when we work together. See, it's delusional for us to imagine that we can live our lives for ourselves. See, there's this thing inside of us, in our society, it's built in and it's increasing, where it's telling you and it's telling me that we don't need each other, that we can do this by ourselves, that we don't need others because they'll disappoint us or they'll hurt us or they'll let us down. I don't need you. And this is the lie that we buy into so often from the enemy, but we as a society are all interconnected, like it or not. And I'll prove it to you. Anybody have a cup of coffee? Just hold it up. Anybody drinking coffee? Beautiful. Do you know that economists believe that approximately a thousand people touched that cup of coffee before you took a sip? If you're like me, you reach for the hand sanitizer because you don't know where that coffee's been. From the farmers to the harvesters to those that dry and prepare the beans to those gorgeous people that roast coffee beans to the people who package them and drive the trucks to the people who stock them on the shelves of the store to the checkout people to the volunteers that purchase and make that cup of coffee so that you can hold it in your hand and take a sip. 1,000 people touched it before you ever got it. So you might think you can go at life alone, but we are all interconnected. We depend on one another at an intimate level. And so I believe that God is speaking to us, his people, his tribe, and he's inviting us to embody what it means to be a part of his tribe. But see, what's happened is there's this dilemma in human history where we would like to eliminate the church as the cure for our world's problems. Have you noticed this? We want to reduce or eliminate what happens in this room. But I want you to know that God has chosen the church as the vehicle in which he chooses to spread the gospel message of Jesus Christ. More specifically, God has chosen you and he's chosen me as the vehicle that he desires to use. And if God had a better plan to spread the love of Jesus Christ, he would have chosen that one, but instead he took us, broken, dysfunctional, people with idiosyncrasies and, and oddities, people like you and people certainly like me, and he's chosen us. Isn't that weird? Like if you were God and you got to pick your team, would you choose us? I mean, I would, you're beautiful people. But what I'm saying is, that so often we imagine that we can't be good enough, that God wouldn't pick us because we're too sinful or that we're not smart enough or that we don't know the Bible enough or we don't speak well or whatever it is. But what's interesting is that God has not chosen you in spite of your dysfunction, but because of it. That he looks into the hearts and the souls of mankind and he looks for the worst of the worst and he says, you're my people. You're my people. And he pulls us together. And I, I meet several people because of the nature of our church who grew up in church and they, 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 their parents had them come and they've abandoned church because they said that place is full of hypocrites, which it is. Like, I own it. I think it's great. We are hypocrites. We all are uh, at some level. There, it's dysfunctional. It's a mess. And they've abandoned the church and we're starting to see people come back because we've chosen to embrace the church 
and to reimagine it for people who've abandoned it. That we have a divine responsibility to show people love and kindness and hope through the context of what happens in this room. And you thought you were just coming to hear someone sing and talk, but what happens here is so much deeper, that it runs so much deeper that we don't even imagine. And in Hebrews 10, verse 23, we find that, we, that the author begins to carve out what it means to be in a tribe. But one of my favorite authors of all time, his name's Eugene Peterson, he has this beautiful quote, and he says that the church is a colony of heaven in a country of death. One of my favorite people, David Huff, quoting one of my favorite authors, Eugene Peterson, said the church is a tribe of heaven in a country of death. We are a tribe of heaven. And Hebrews says, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Now we don't have time to unpackage fully what that confession of our hope is and how it changes our lives forever. But here's what I do want you to know. I want you to pull straight out of this passage that God is faithful. So if you're here and you think that God has promised you something at some point in your life, but he hasn't come through for you and you thought he abandoned you, you thought he left you to fend for yourself. You thought he forgot about the promise that he made. Maybe you've started imagining that God's not even in existence because if he were, he would have already met that promise. He would have already come through for you. I want you to know that God has not left you. God has not abandoned you. God has not left us to fend for ourselves because my God is always faithful. And whatever he's promised you, it will come to fruition in his time. But here's what's interesting is that this confession of our hope, the one that we make without wavering, that is what defines us as a tribe. That this is what separates us from CrossFit. This is what separates us from those really cool guys who drop their hand on a motorcycle or us awesome redheads. This is what separates us from every other tribe that you will ever choose, is that our tribe creed, our motto, is that we trust, that we confess without wavering, that God is faithful. And he goes on to say in verse 24, let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The first word that we pull straight out of this passage is the word concerned. He says, let us be concerned about one another. See, I love this idea of being concerned about one another because I feel like we have this sort of uh, social media-driven society where we all sort of feel like if we can like something or we can heart something, then we've shown proper concern. That we sort of keep one another at an arm's distance instead of getting into the mess of relationships and getting in the mess of a tribe we want to keep everybody a little bit far and we can show sort of concern, but we don't really have to be genuinely invested if we can just sort of keep that distance. But I believe that genuine tribe, genuine community cannot be faked. It cannot be, uh, it cannot be challenged. We have to fully invest in one another in order to get all that we need out of, uh, out of our tribe. We have to fully invest even when it hurts See, we've become, though, really good about faking community. We've become good about pretending that we care, but we can always tell the difference between someone's genuine concern and someone's false concern. 
But I believe that this idea of caring about one another deeply and intimately will change the dynamic of any tribe. In our community of faith, right now we have a couple, and they had a baby. And their baby was immediately diagnosed with this issue of their jaw to where he can't breathe appropriately on his own. And so he spent an entire month, his first month of his life, in the hospital. They bought all these clothes that he'll never be able to wear. And he's waiting surgery, and he has surgery Wednesday. And they're going to actually take his jaw and extend it so that he can breathe appropriately. And it's tough. And it's really hard on, on this particular couple. But what's so unique about our tribe, and also about this one and many others just like it, is that they don't go through this process alone. When we see one of ours hurt, we all hurt. When one of ours is in the hospital, we're all in the hospital because we are concerned about one another. But what happens so often is that we get hurt by others and we're quick to write people off. Have you ever written somebody off that hurt you? You don't have to admit it. We're all quick to write people off. If somebody wrongs us, they harm us, if they say something that hits us the wrong way, we're quick to cut them off. We're, we're, like, we're beautiful about doing that. Like we just, we don't want any part of it. But anybody ever uh, fallen in love and had their uh, heart broken? Anybody, you can admit it. If they're sitting next to you, point them out. That, that'll work well for you. We've all been in this place where we've given our heart to someone, to another human being, and they've crushed it. They've hurt us. And do you know what you say? When you've been hurt, what do you say? You say, I'll never love again, right? I'll never love again. That woman hurt me, and I'll never trust another woman again. That, that guy, he, would, he messed with my heart, and I'll never give another man my heart. I'll never trust again, but do you know what you do? Do you know what I do? We love again. We love again. I'm married, obviously. At some point, I started to love again, because even when we're hurt, we understand that we need one another. We have to have one another. Have you ever seen a porcupine? Uh, they're not native to Hendersonville, I don't think. But a porcupine is this funny little creature, and it kind of looks soft and cuddly, like you might want to rub it, but you don't because you know it can also hurt you. They have these sharp uh, quills on the end of their spine. And what's interesting about a porcupine, it, it's a beautiful metaphor for a human relationship because they, they spend the bulk of their life separate. They can't get together. They can't get close because they'll hurt one another. But what's weird and tragic and also beautiful and amazing is that when it's cold out, when the weather turns and it's cold, porcupines are forced to huddle together in order to survive. So they pull together and their quills are poking one another and they're bloody and they're hurt and they're wounded. And then they spread back out. But when it gets cold again, they're forced back together because they understand even when people hurt us, we still need one another. Because here's what I know. I know some you walk around with hurt. And if you've ever been really deeply hurt by another human being, you know that wound doesn't heal quickly. And here's what's interesting is that I've never been hurt by someone I wasn't close to, right? Like I've never been hurt by like the guy who changes my oil. And I don't change my own oil. I should never have told you that. And, and I've never been hurt by the person who checks out, you know, the bag thing at the grocery, who bags my groceries. Those, those people don't hurt me. Do you know who hurts me? The people that are closest to me. But do you know who I need the most? I don't need the guy who changes my oil as much as I need the person that's already in community with me to bind together and build together. Because here's what I know about you and here's what I know about me is that we are the Michael Jordan of hurting people, right? We are the best at it. 
because we can do it. We can't help ourselves sometimes. We rub each other the wrong way. But I know that God begins to bring healing and hope because he believes that I believe and you should believe in what happens here. It's vital to your survival. You may be hurt and wounded, but you'll never survive out there by yourself. It won't happen. And it'll get cold for you at some point. In your life, something will happen. And you'll need the people around you. And if you have not done the relational work now to build a community of concern, then you'll look up and realize that there's nobody who's concerned about you. And those people that you thought were against you, those people that you thought you didn't need, you're going to need more than you ever thought you'd imagine. It'll happen for you. It's happened for us in our church. It's happened for me personally. At some point, you will need the people around you. And Galatians 6, 2 says it this way. He says, carry one another's burdens. It is in this way that you will fulfill the law of Christ. Have you ever imagined how you would try to fulfill the law of Christ? He says, pick up somebody else's burden. Carry someone else's problem. See, here's what I know about concern is that it's cyclical. If you're in a tribe, then you have a responsibility to show concern and receive concern. And there are moments in my life where I'm at a place where I can give concern. And right now with this couple in our, in our tribe, we're showing concern. But there's also a time in my life where I'm going to need concern and so I receive it. And so what a tribe means is that we give and we receive and we give again. We give and we receive and we give again. And we enter into this cycle of concern so that we can support and love one another together. And in Hebrews, he says, and let us be concerned about one another, but there's a purpose behind it. It's not just purposeless concern or concern for concern's sake. That there's a purpose behind it. And he says, in order to promote, in order to promote, yes, and good works, that we are concerned with one another, not just for concern's sake, but that we may promote love and good works. See, here's what I know about being a part of a community of faith like this one, is that it brings out the best in each other. That it brings out the best in one another. That when you enter into this cycle of a tribe and you bring concern and you give concern and you enter into a space like this and you're not looking for what you can get, but you're looking for what you can give, then what's beautiful about this opportunity is that it brings out the best in you. You also have the opportunity to bring out the best in others. And I don't know what world you live in, but the world that I live in needs more love and it needs more concern and it needs more good works. And as we bind together and we work together, we are able to promote these things, not just within our community here, but within our city and in our state and in our nation. The second thing that Hebrews tells us is that we must be committed, that we have to be committed. He says it this way, that we don't stay away from our worship meetings as some habitually do. Now, I know when you think about commitment in an environment like this, you automatically begin to say, well, he wants me to commit to church attendance, right? Right? And you should. You should all be committed. You should never skip a single week. But I believe this passage is speaking less about church attendance and more about a divine commitment to one another. Look around the room real fast. Faces, eyeballs. Make that awkward eye contact you've been avoiding all morning. Go ahead, look around. Look far across the room to people you don't know. See, it's easy when you look at the church as an object to say, well, it's a nonprofit or it's this, this, this entity, and so I may or may not feel like going today. But when you begin to imagine that the church isn't a building, the church isn't 
lights. I mean, I, I hung these. I was in the rafters hanging these. If anyone cares more about these lights in this room, it's me. But this isn't the church. The church is the people sitting in your seat. And when you begin to imagine that we're not committed to a building or facility, but we're committing to a human being, then it changes the dynamic of every tribe. So all of a sudden, I, 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 should I sleep in? No, because we are counting on you. See, the person across this room is counting on you. And you may not even know them, but we are committed to one another. As our tribe grows, we begin to be committed to more and more because we grow and we grow and we grow and we move and we, we, we get stronger as we grow. But see, the wolf understands this. You guys have wolves in Hendersonville. No, you probably don't. Wolves understand this. If you ever run into a wolf, he's a lone wolf, I want you to know that you're probably going to be okay. I mean, don't hold me to it if you're not, but there's a strong chance. If you run into a lone wolf, you're going to be okay. If you find a single wolf, there's a good chance he's had a conflict or a fight with the alpha dog, and he's been pushed out of the pack. See, wolves run in strong packs. If you find one that's alone, he has no power because he lost his power in the tribe. He lost his power when he was removed from the pack. And the strongest hunter moves to the weakest scavenger when he moves alone. See, wolves understand this. If you have one that squares off to you, you're done for. I don't want to paint it prettier for you. You're done. It's over for you. Because if he squares off at you, he knows there are other wolves moving around you. Because he realizes the power of his pack. And see, that's what I look at when I see this room. I see the power of tribe. That when you face a crisis, or when you go through a storm, you can look that crisis in the face and you can say, this will not break us. It may break me, but I have power through tribe. That we build something stronger when we work together. But see, we, we love to think that we don't need each other. We love to think that we don't need one another, that we can go it alone until we face a crisis and then we imagine a time in our lives where we needed our tribe, when we needed our pack. And so we commit, we determine here and now to invest in relationships, to invest in friendships, See, one of the most beautiful things about being here is that there's about 15 people that I know in this room that we are deeply connected to still today. Deeply. It's been three and a half years. There are probably 20 to 30 people that are just absolutely elated to see us. There might be 50 to 75 people that still keep in contact with our lives. And it's beautiful because when you invest in tribe, it doesn't last just for a moment. That it lasts a lifetime. But see, what happens so many times is we have people who go from tribe to tribe right? You know these people. They go to community to community. They go to place to place and they bounce around and they're looking, what, what can I get out of it? What can I get out of it? And I always feel bad for these people because I want you to know that you will never find what you're looking for until you fully invest somewhere. It does not have to be here, though your pastor may say otherwise, but you have to invest somewhere. You cannot go through life by yourself because you lose the power of tribe. That you find a place that you can commit your life to. And what's beautiful about commitment, what's beautiful about giving everything you have to the people around you through concern and commitment is that when you give the very thing that you so desperately need, it becomes amazing to watch how God begins to bring that thing back into your life. 
And what happens is people look at church as an institution and they, they want to join a church. And when you do that, you're looking for what you can get out of it. But when you look at church like a tribe, you begin to imagine what you can bring to it. You begin to imagine what you have in your life to bring to this tribe to make it stronger. And some of you, you think, well, I don't have anything. I don't have any skill set. I don't do anything. I don't, I don't have any great biblical knowledge. I don't really, I don't have anything to contribute. But you do have something that God has created you and he's purposed for you to be here in this moment for this point in time in history so that you may bring what he's gifted you into this tribe to build it and make it stronger. The third and last, well, let me give you this. Galatians 3 really quickly invites all of us. It gives us all the opportunity to be a part of the tribe. And he says, for as many of you as been baptized into Christ have put on Christ-like garments. He says in verse 28, there are no Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, male or female. And this is what's beautiful about God's tribe. It's what separates us from so many other tribes is that he said, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. See, this is what's great, is that it doesn't matter where you come from, you belong here. It doesn't matter what you've done, you are accepted here. It doesn't matter uh, what, where you come from or what you've done or your experiences in your life, you belong and you are accepted and there are people who are committed and concerned for you right here in this room, that God's tribe is open to all. And as our nation continues to try to divide and separate and pull apart and segment, I believe that God is pulling us together as his people. And the third and last term that we pull out of this is the word encouraging. That this word encouraging is so powerful. And in verse 10 it says, but we must encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, part of this tribe, part of the responsibility that we bring is that we must be concerned, committed, but we have to be encouraging. See, I believe this place should be the most encouraging place in the city. I believe when you leave here, you should feel empowered and encouraged because of your tribe. I believe that every single one of us have a responsibility every single time we gather to look one another in the eyes and say, I believe in you. I believe in you. You can do it. You encourage, challenge, and build up one another that this place may be full of hope and full of love and acceptance and joy that we get stronger as we encourage and we commit. And I believe that God has called all of us, all of us to bring this beautiful encouragement. Because don't you feel like our society needs more encouragement? Like we're not real good at doing it. It's, it's really uncomfortable because a lot of times what we imagine is if I'm gonna encourage you, that puts me in the weaker spot, right? So I'm the one that's building you up and so you're being built up, but that means that I have to be pushed down and what I'd rather you do is encourage me so that I can be built up, but that's not the way God sees it. That we encourage and we challenge and we build one another up because when you succeed, I succeed. And when I succeed, you succeed because we are all part of one tribe. Anybody ever competed in an Ironman competition? Anybody? Good. See, this is, a, this is a good room. You guys should definitely get to know one another. Ironman competitions are crazy. Ironman competitions, if you don't know, are absolutely insane. You, you run 26.2 miles, you bike 112 miles, and you swim 2.4 miles. All in one day, like maybe in a lifetime we might consider this, but this is all 
in one day. And, and, and the, the, the good guys, right, the ones that are able to do it effectively, they do it in 12 hours. The, the, the slower ones do it in 15. I mean, the slower ones do it in a lifetime, but the slower ones in the competition, 15. The best do it in eight hours. And what's interesting about the Ironman competition is that it takes about 5,000 volunteers to pull off a competition. 5,000 people, men and women who sacrifice their own time, their own money, they pay for their own food, their own hotel, and they arrive weeks early and they set things up and they get everything ready for the competition. They spend so much of their time and money invested in this. Do you know what their job is during the competition? They get as close to the competitor as they can. And they scream encouragements. I believe in you. Don't give up. You're almost there. See, those individuals who are probably not quite right in the head, they say that you can never fully train for an Ironman competition because it's so intense that they don't even fully understand in that moment if they're capable of finishing. And many, many say that they would have given up if it weren't for those people screaming encouragements in their ear. See, here's what I believe, is I believe that there are people in this room right now and you're ready to give up. You're here and you're saying, I've been doing this for so long, I don't know how much longer I can do it. I'm hurt, I'm wounded, I don't feel I can go any further. But I believe that we as your tribe have a responsibility to stare you in the face and say, I believe in you, you can do it. Don't give up, you're almost there. That as we build a culture of encouragement, we begin to see that we as individuals become stronger as a tribe, that we speak life and hope and love into one another, that as one succeeds, we all succeed. You don't have to give up. You can keep moving. You may be tired, but I want you to know your tribe is strong. So keep pushing, keep moving, keep investing, keep giving, and watch how all of those things that you need come back into your life. That we are God's people. We work and we move and we live together. But here's what I know about your community, is that I believe there are people around you who need you. You may not know it. There are people around you that wanna be a part of the tribe that you're a part of, but they're just waiting for an invitation. They're just waiting for you to invite them to join you. So here's how I wanna close. I need like a really crazy volunteer, just somebody just up for anything. And I need you to stand and start humming Amazing Grace. I see, I didn't tell you, but you already did it. You're in. Just, if you would, I want you just to hum Amazing Grace all by yourself. All by yourself. Just dive in. I'm going to talk right over you. Dive in. See, here's what's beautiful. Is that it takes guts to step out, doesn't it? To be like, that's me. I'm going to step out. And it's beautiful, the power that is inside of someone who can say, I'm going to be first. I'm going to dive in. I'm going to do it. Whether anybody else does this or not. He didn't even wait for me to tell him what we were going to do. But he was like, I'm in. I'm all in. I'm ready to go. What one can do, so many more can do together. Can somebody join him? Can somebody else be willing to join him? Just stand and start humming Amazing Grace. Is there anybody that says, that's me? Thanks. So we begin to build this community. We begin to foster this community. We begin to hum together. We begin to work together. And when we can hear one voice, all of a sudden we hear five. And we hear ten. 
And we hear 15 and 50 and 100. And the power starts to grow because of the power in us as a tribe that God has created you for this moment. And if this is where he's called you, then you dig your toes in. But there are some people you're just waiting. You're like, just give me one more chance. I want an invite. Many of you, you're like, I'm just already in. I'm already in. I believe in what's happening here so much that I want to be a part of it. Come on, keep humming. There are people waiting. There are people looking at your life and they're saying, that looks great. That you look so encouraged when you drive in to your driveway. You look so uh, empowered when you come on Mondays. And they're waiting for you to say, come and join me. But then some people around you, some people around you, they're thinking, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to be a part of that. But what we need to do is challenge them. How many people will it take to stand at home before they feel like they want to dive in? How many people have to join this tribe before they want to be a part of it? But it's our responsibility, it's your responsibility to invite people to join you so that your tribe gets stronger.